Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Stay Rich in Spirit. I am so excited about this conversation we are about to have today. I have the amazingly intelligent and insightful Dr. Angel Brothwaite with me today. Everybody in the field calls her Dr. B. Now, this conversation is going to be definitely interesting and I'm hopeful to be to learn a lot today um, because Dr. B specialized as a professional black sex therapist. So like, I really want to get into it. Like, I really want to talk about it. She didn't already shared a lot of intellect with me before we've even started this conversation. Like, I'm learning about, you know, the impact of dysfunctional family organizations and how it affects the childhood and their development into adulthood. I'm learning of different things that people do to deal with um, the lack of love that others may seem that may seem to be just like a natural thing uh, for people who are raised in the family, in the household, and the significance of having your parents or not having your parents and disassociation, EQ, emotional intelligence. I'm sorry, but it's you right. really it's a had, lot to it. You really <laughs> had me. I'm I'm researching the, the situation and I'm like, wow, like but it makes so yes. much sense, you know, and I'm, I'm a big believer that to really understand someone, I have to see your dynamics in your family only not saying that that's going to be the sum total of how I perceive you. But at the same time, it probably would make behaviors and things like that make a lot of sense. You know, Absolutely. The families that we grow up in, they shape us. It shows us how we are supposed to act, how we're supposed to treat others. So it's a huge impact. And when you don't specifically say, I don't want to be this or I don't want to do this, you naturally fall into it. Mm. So, you know, social learning is real. I, you know, parents used to say, you know, do as I say and not as I do. It's not that easy. Like you naturally do what you see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and a lot of times it's toxic. It's really <laughs> bad. And by the time a lot of people realize it, it's, I don't want to say it's too late, but you lost years to being happy. That's real. I always felt like some of the conversations that need to be had, and it's not necessarily about, it's all about birds and bees, birds and bees, but how much um, the the importance of the family structure is really to teach children how to be parents, you know? Yeah, like, it is. No, it is. Like, we're teaching you how to be decent human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and the best way to do that is to show it. You know, um, people laugh at, like, you know, gentle parenting and this new age parenting, but I'm telling it makes so much better people. Like, I tell everyone, you know, I- I'm a little different. I had my son at 34. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't young. I wasn't, I had finished school. I had done all that. I had a couple dollars in my pocket. So, I really got to focus on just being his mom. And, you know, people are like, oh, you let him do this. You let him do that. Yeah, because I don't want to raise a broken adult. Mm. You know, I'd rather raise a healthy child than have a broken adult. You know, like they say, oh, he says that to you. Yes, he's allowed to say, mommy, I don't like when you talk to me like that. Or I don't like this. It doesn't mean it's going to change everything. Mm -hmm. But he knows he has the voice to say it. So that's what I'm trying to instill in a lot of us, especially a lot of us skin folk. We'd be like, my child can't say this or my child can't do this. But you're not teaching them to talk back. You're teaching them to stand up for themselves and to say, this isn't something that I'm not okay with. I can imagine just um, keeping that in mind. is kind of like a training, you know, like, because how do people stick up for themselves in the modern day? Yeah. Like, how do I skip the I'm offended by what's going on, but yet I lack agency to do anything about it because I was always taught to suppress yes. um, whatever uh, amendment I have to what's going on around oh, me. Oh, my God. That is like the biggest issue. And just just to be very transparent, there are absolute times that I slip to and mm-hmm. I'd be like, <laughs> I just, you know, say what I got to say. But it's it's really about saying what what am I trying to achieve? You know, especially if it's somebody that you care about, somebody that you love, you going from zero to 100 over something that really probably doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, and I tell everyone the basis of any type of therapy, whether it's sex therapy, trauma, marriage, communication. Yes. You got to talk to each other and you have to say, what do you mean by that? Because this is what I heard. But what are you trying to tell me? Because that plays a huge role, too, because if somebody 
you know, if growing up you weren't allowed to say, I don't like this or this or whatever, and you and your partner are doing something and, and your partner hears you say, I don't like this, they take it as an assault. Yes. No, I'm just really telling you, I don't like this. Is I'm not trying to hurt you, not trying to be personal. I don't like this. I don't like the way I feel when you do this. Absolutely. But people get so defensive that people stop saying that. But why is that? Why do people get uh, feel a way about how others feel when they're the cause of it? One, a lot of people don't like confrontation. Mm. And confrontation has gotten such a negative term. I love confrontation. Me too. When I hear confrontation, I hear, let me clear this up. Because I want to speak to you directly and say, hey, either I didn't understand or I didn't like it or you didn't understand what I just said. But people get so defensive because it's like, oh, I'm wrong. How dare you say I'm wrong? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're not listening or hearing the same thing. That's real. I'm I'm a big fan of confrontation as well, only because I feel like that's the only way to make you real, really stronger, like stronger minded or stronger or have like a bigger objective at play. Yes. You know, my best friend is a boxer. Mm-hmm. So like he always talks about sparring, you know, yeah. and nobody loses in sparring. So that kind of confrontation, I'm going to call it, I'll, I'll call it gentle confrontation, yeah, you know, yeah, like absolutely. where it's like my intention is not to hurt you, but my, my intention is to let you understand like how I feel and the capacity of my response to absolutely. how I feel. And I just want to tell you that I'm going to use that whole sparring thing in therapy now that I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that makes so much sense, but that's what it is. It is, especially when you're dealing with a relationship, whether it's a child, a parent or a partner, I'm not saying my situation or my feelings are better or worse than yours. What I'm saying is let's bring them all to the surface and identify them. Yes. Because when you're sitting there harboring stuff, half the time the other person doesn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's crazy because, like, I always relate things back to just experiences I have in my life. Like, so I've I've never been, like, a weightlifter. Mm-hmm. So I recently started, like, lifting weights. And my trainer always tells me, like breathe like because even if you don't breathe the breath is going to find a way out like if you're struggling and you're not breathing (laughs) you're going to start going "Ah." so like i look at it as with this gentle confrontation thing if we don't let each other know it and i i think it's the biggest in friendships you know i think it really gets overlooked in friendships if we harbor these feelings that we have and we never put those things on to the surface and let's iron out the details of Mm -hmm. what i did and what you did then it's still going to come out yeah but it's only going to come out in tense situations exactly. you know what i mean like and now you look like the bad guy because you screaming about shit that happened five years ago exactly and they like what are you talking about or you making <laughs> sneaky little comments like right. you you talking around mm-hmm. situations like those are that's not a healthy channel of communication it's not at all and a lot of people can't take direct communication as well mm-hmm. um and you know we we like to beat around the bush when we say things because we're like oh i don't want to hurt their feelings or i don't want to but that de- direct communication, there's no misunderstanding. Yes. It is very front and center. But again, people take it as an assault to them. You know, they get very defensive mm-hmm. or they feel like you coming for their ego or their manhood or their womanness or their parentness. And and it's like, no, I just want you to be very clear what I'm saying. Yes. I don't want any misunderstanding. Because the thing happens, I see a lot of times people settle for misunderstanding in conversations to avoid that real confrontation. Like, because it's also an ego thing in a sense. Yes, huge. Where it's like, (laughs) like, I don't want, like, now I'm scared that if you do know everything how I feel and you don't respond in a way that I want you to, that means that I'm not good enough or I'm not worth it for you to do these things. And that probably hurts more than the disappointment of everyday reality. It's like, can we live with, you can't handle the truth. Yes, oh my God. I just want to be like, yes, that's what it is. And I see it so much. And especially like being a sex therapist, Oh my God, people cannot be honest about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, when DJ Envy's wife came out with the book and she was like, you know, my husband hasn't given me an orgasm in 10 years and all this stuff. I'm gonna tell you this: 95% of women was like, Yep, absolutely. Yes. They were sense. like, we 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 feel the same way. We we was faking it for years because one, a lot of women are embarrassed. 
But two, that direct communication, it hurts the person's ego. Mm -hmm. If I tell my man, you're not satisfying me, his first response, and I'm just saying, not everybody, but usually the first response is, well, that's on you. Yeah, because it go both ways too. Because yeah. a lot of times the man will be in a relationship with a woman for a long term, long, long time, and they might not be able to please her because of the emotional attachment they have with them. Yes. But then they wondering why that man is cheating. That man is cheating because that other woman doesn't impact him the way that you impact him. So he can go and have 45-minute sex with this woman. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I don't love her. Like, and, like yeah, and that's the thing. Like, And I'm like, just talk. Like, yes. just have that conversation. But most people are so afraid. They're so afraid of hurting feelings or getting their feelings hurt. Yes. And the biggest problem is nobody's telling the truth. Right? Like, we live in a world. <laughs> we live in a world. And that's the catch-22 about these realities or this concept of when society is, is like at a clash with reality because how many people telling their business right exactly like how many people really how much do we really know about each exactly. other we don't know that much about each other so then on the flip side what ends up happening is people end up going through the same exact things but because they aren't being transparent about it yep. with everyone they're trying to present the perfect version of themselves on different media platforms or at work or in their friend circles where they're not i'm not really letting people know what's going on right. with me which like, does you a disservice because not only do you not to get to live your truth, but you're allowing other people to harm you and they don't mean to. Yes. You know, a lot of times people have triggers to their traumas that they never tell people about. Mm -hmm. You know, besides the fact not telling people about their traumas, period. But, you know, if, you know, I was in a, you know, just saying if I was in an abusive relationship and every time somebody said shut up, it triggered me. But instead of me telling you that I shut down and disappear for three days. Yes. Like, what kind of relationship is that, you know? And that's what a lot of people don't understand. You have to explain stuff like that. You have to explain things like that. And I always promote people sharing more with the people that's going to deal with you. Like, yeah. like if you're going to deal with me, I'm going to let you know, like, all of the things that people might not share with their friends and family mm -hmm. and loved ones like they should. Like, it would be really troubling to me just on a personal level like i have I, I know people who like been dealing with illnesses yeah and they never tell nobody mm -hmm. you know what i mean like whether it be high blood pressure diabetes like even more serious yeah. things more serious more immediate threats to their life but they never they're not sharing so it's like we can't even create a productive healing environment because we don't know all of the ailments that's going on in our environment Absolutely. you know we don't know all the traumas that everybody are dealing with so instead of of everybody in a communal effort creating this healing type of environment it's still kind of like every man for themselves even yeah. though we in a room with 10 15 people and it's the 10 15 people that you swear are your closest friends and family that have no idea and then you know you start feeling resentment because it's like well why didn't you figure it out how am i supposed to figure out something is going on with you yes you know you're supposed to say something or the ones that all right something going on but i'm not going to say something until he say something no, if this is truly a person that's in your circle, hey, what's going on with you? I'm noticing this difference. Yes, but also give people the leeway to. Under, I also look when I approach people when I when I converse with people, I'm always thinking like, and and teaching has taught me this with my students. Like a lot of times, people don't have the words, yeah, yet to yes. properly explain how they feel. And so they feel like because they lack the vocabulary or the rhetoric to fully explain how they're mm -hmm. feeling and what they're going through and how things have impacted them. It's like me talking about it will give, do it a disservice where they don't understand. Like it's just the starting point. Like, you know, and I'm so glad you said that because one of the first things that I do with my clients is, I teach them language. Yes. You know, I, it's certain words that I have to take away. I'm like, you're not allowed to tell me that you're mad, angry, okay, or, you know, upset. Because those are generic. Yes. We got to get to the bottom of it. Because most of the time when people say they're angry, they're not angry. I tell people, you're angry when you lose a $20 bill. Mm -hmm. But when you find out that your, your girl was out stepping out on you, you're upset. You're hurt. Yes. When that teacher says, you know, yells at you in front of the class, you're not angry. You're embarrassed. 
You know, we got to get to the real root of these words. And like you said, so many that people is don't powerful. have the language. Yeah. That is powerful. You are not angry. You are hurt. Like yes. It's like breaking your leg. You're not angry. Your leg is broke. Exactly. <laughs> like, and people don't understand that. I tell people, yes, we are angry sometimes. But unless you was having a, a three scoop ice cream and two fall, mm-hmm. it ain't anger. You know, unless you lost a hundred dollar bill, you ain't angry. Mm-hmm. It's usually so much deeper than that. Yes. But we don't teach people these words. People don't, we don't, the power of words are truly, truly significant. Absolutely. Very significant. Like the difference between hurt and anger is significant. Yes. Very significant. And it takes people a minute to understand that. Hmm. I never even thought about that in that way. I'm telling you, if I take away like five words, you people are going to be like, I feel like I know you so much better mm-hmm. because you're not telling me you're angry now. Like if a kid comes home from school and says, I'm angry. Well, why are you angry? Because such and such wouldn't play with me. So you're not angry. You're hurt. Your feelings got hurt. Yeah, it hurts like a rental. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to, I, I put vocabulary in people's words because your anger, is, you're not angry. And that embarrassment, so many people, that embarrassment piece is huge. Not pe- many people will admit to being embarrassed. Yes. And most of the time we are. And most people run from the prospect of embarrassment. Absolutely. So I won't even put myself in a position. For you to embarrass me. Yes. Or for me to embarrass myself. That too. Like, that too. I think that's people's biggest fear. Yeah. Like that I'm going to step in here and embarrass myself. Like, And that's why I tell people when you come to therapy, this is a safe space. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as embarrassment. There's no such thing as judgment. Like this is that raw, get it out. What's going on? It's so funny. Like I've had so many people, and this is kids, men, women, that really, th- they'd be like, Yo, Dr. B, I'm really in love with you. You're not in love with me. You just have never had this type of intimacy with yes. somebody. Yes. Because you know, whatever you say to me, it it doesn't affect me. You know? That's it, real. I don't have a dog in this race. So when you're talking to your, your spouse or your cousin or your mother, they have some type of dog in that race. There's something that they usually get out of it or from it. I don't. So you can put raw emotion on the table. And most people have never had that word, and because I would, I would dare to say, what if one of the words I took away was love? Mm. You know, like, and you and really have to explore like yes. your connection with people. Like, do you love that person, or do you love the way that they treat you? Exactly. Like, when I hear love, I hear protection. I hear safety. Mm-hmm. I hear comfort. A lot of people can't say that when they hear love. It's more infatuation. Yes. You know, so. You know what you just gave me? I got to take away love now from people. I mean, only, and, you know, because love is this omnipresent thing. Like, I'm not, I would never, like, dismiss the, the power of love. I would never dismiss the power of anger. Like, yeah. you know, it can be used as a quick fuel Absolutely. to get you where you want to go, right? But, like, if I take away that word, then, like, what I really, what we, what yeah. I really appreciate about knowing you and being around you is this this, yes. this, and this. And when I have people like define love, we start to get into, you know, I've never actually taken the word away from people, which I am going to start to do. But I noticed that people are with people for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. So we talk about, you know, there are a lot of different traumas that people don't talk about. Like when we talk about trauma, we hear, we think about abuse, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, we think like something huge has had to happen. But most people are dealing with abandonment trauma. Yes. They're dealing with attachment issues. So you looking at a couple thinking, how the hell are y'all still together? Like y'all don't even really like each other, but they probably trauma bonded off something. Mm -hmm. You know, like my last person did me wrong. Your last person did you wrong. So we not going to leave each other just to prove them wrong. Yes. What kind of relationship is that? That's real. Like, or we see people that are so afraid of being alone or being left that they're staying with someone that they don't even like anymore. But it to them, it is better to say I can have someone than be alone. Yes. And, you know, we see it especially, and I hate to say it, in the black and brown communities, we see it a lot and it starts very young. And it's from everything from parents leaving to grandparents dying to uprooting and moving your child to a different school or state. Like, when somebody doesn't get to process that correctly... 
it starts a whole toxic relationship for them for everybody else. Yes, yes. Because especially when you're dealing with children, because children tend to be like the, uh, they tend to be like the, what's the word I want to say? They tend to be like, in the in the best way, they tend to be like the extra in yeah. the in the movie, like absolutely because yeah. the parents are making the decisions, like, oh, I want to start yeah. a career in in California or something like that, like. And then you just uproot your kid and think that, oh, you good, you you don't pay no bills, so you you don't got no worries. Facts or just this idea, like somehow we've lost that we've lost that understanding of how important it is to have a village, you know? Yeah. Like a village that has ties to who you are and your people. Like, Absolutely. you know, you can find good places to live. Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like, who does your child need? You yes. Know? Like, and, and that's why and I tell people, like, kids have definitely brought families back together. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I say that in the sense of when you have a child and you were beefing with your parents or your grandparents or your aunts or your sisters, brothers, whoever, when you realize like, damn, I really need a village for my child, you start to be like, all right, I don't fuck with you, but you can still have a relationship with my child because mm-hmm. I know that's what they need. Yes. You know, so it absolutely matters when people say stuff like, I don't need anybody. No, we all need somebody. Yes. Like we're yes. not built to be individuals in that sense. We not we don't live in a world alone. No, not at all. Not even close. And uh, and and that's that's something I saw with my nephew. I don't have any children, but like with my nephew, like I see the attachment he has to my mother and father, yeah. you know. And it's like much different than yeah. the connection he has <laughs> with his with his mother and father. Yeah. Like it's sacred. And then I think back to my relationship with my grandmother. Like, mm-hmm. like it's you might can get away with messing with somebody, mother or father. Like but you put grandma in You put grandma or, or, or papa <laughs> in the situation. Like, and it's a completely different dynamic. It's so different. And I I never realized it until I had a kid. I had amazing grandparents, but my family's from Barbados. Mm -hmm. So um, my dad and only his younger sister were in the U.S. So I saw, I physically saw my grandparents maybe once every couple years. They were amazing from a distance, but we had a whole ocean between us. So I didn't have that like addicted And really rocky sand. Listen, (laughs) that's a whole other story. You want to go over there? (laughs) Shout out to Brianna though. But, um, uh, (laughs) But when I had my son... Like right now, like my son is with my father right now mm-hmm. um, because he had two days off of school, PG County schools. But anyway, um, and when I dropped him off, he was like, all right, you don't have to come back. I was like, yeah, we good. We about to have a lot of fun. Listen, my son is six and addicted to my parents. Yeah. And as much as I talk about it, like y'all were never like this with me. It is the greatest feeling in the world to know that they have my child's back like this and that my child knows it. Yes. Like, and they feel a comfort with yeah. them that like they can't find nowhere else. Exactly. Like, that's exactly. A, that's, a, that's love. You know, that's when you start talking about love where it's like, I asked my nephew why you love my my mother. <laughs> He's not about to be saying like right. it ain't no other word. Like yeah. it yeah. ain't no it's no other word. Like this this is one of the humans that I know was put on this earth for me. Like, Absolutely. When you know a human has been put on this earth for you, that is it's different. That's it's different. Real, like my my son really gets upset when I'd be like, that's my father. And he'd be like, um, that's my grandfather. I'm like, you don't get it. That's my father. If he wasn't my father, he wouldn't be your grandfather. And he looks at me like, this mine. Please stop. <laughs> like, and I'm a daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. I am, I've, I'm the middle child. I have an older sister and a little brother, but I'm my father's twin inside and out. The day my child was born, my father kicked me to the curb and was like, oh, got a new best friend. I was like, what? <laughs> but my son is being raised in love. Yes. And that is what a lot of people don't have. You know, we we talk about being raised in love and survival and how it's really different and how it affects different relationships. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't prepare us for everything about that hard surface. When you're raised in love, you absolutely get your feelings hurt a lot more, a lot more. But you bounce back because you've had unconditional love. Well, yeah, but that's how muscles get stronger. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you have to tear muscles for them to grow stronger. So, like, those people who, like... You know, your grandmother beat you and it's different. Like, <laughs> like I'm the beating don't hurt. Right. It's di- 
it, the beating not is what is not the thing that hurt. It's right. the fact that it's my grandmother who did it. Like, and then most of us be like, I hurt my grandmother's feelings. Like she mad at me. Facts. Like, <laughs> Facts. But it's a it's something to be said that is consequences for my behavior and my action, and they're going to come from the people who love yeah. me first. Absolutely. Like when the consequences come from the people who love you first, that is a blessing that. A Absolutely. lot of people don't have. A lot of people receive their consequences from foreign people. Yeah. Like, and when I say foreign people, I'm not talking race. I'm talking right. just people outside of that family structure. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not your grandma, your grandfather, your mother, and your father. It's the police. Yeah. Like, exactly. Exactly. It, it's the teacher. Yeah. It's the it's the principal. They are the one that is breaking. They. they they breaking your heart not out of love. Like, right. They're right. breaking your love. You're breaking your heart out of penalty. Exactly. Like, you know, out, out of, of judgment. It, you know? out of, not out of judgment and out of order. Yes. You know, and it's it's like you said, it's not the same. So you you get a different reaction. Like I said, when your parents, especially when you, you were raised in love, when your parents or grandparents, you know, disciplined you in whatever manner, you thought about that shit. You were sitting there like, damn, what I do? What happened? What's going to happen? Like, they they not going to talk to me. They mad at me. You know, you get a different feeling. Like you said, when that foreign person does it, it's like, you just want to hurt me. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not teaching me nothing. You want to hurt me. Yes. And, you know, that's why, you know, certain teachers are, are praised so high because they, they do it out of love. Yes. You know, and we see a lot of them that don't, but we do, we see a lot of them that do. So, you know, surrounding your kids with the right person is so real. Yes. So real. Because love could be the difference between discipline and punishment. Yeah. You know? Like, disciplining someone is much different than punishing Absolutely. somebody. You know, like, that's another word I never liked. Like, I, and I was fortunate. My parents didn't punish me. Like, but I was also one of them children who wasn't attached to anything material. Mm. So it's like... Taking my toys, cool. Yeah. You're taking my game, <laughs> cool. Like, nah, I get it. see, I, I'm a little older than you, so our punishments was like, you can't go outside. That was the end of the world. Like, I didn't I... like humans. Like, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I wasn't really social. Like, uh, I was never really social, and most of that became because of the dynamics I was raised in. Like, yeah. I was raised in a place where it was a lot of heartbreak mm-hmm. but the heartbreak um threatened mortality yeah you know yeah. like people were getting killed over heartbreak right so i never my coping mechanism was like eh. right stay away i don't eh. even want to try that i'm good and i had deep connections with people in my community like i had deep connections with people all throughout my community but it was a one-on-one right. connection it wasn't like oh i'm all gonna everybody. come and party with everybody or go outside and everybody i like to play sports and all of that but i was like eh, i can't go outside like my parents didn't know how to hold me. Like they couldn't right. hold me. But see, and that's and that's another thing too is that everybody is different. Mm-hmm. So when these foreign people try to do that punishment, and stuff, you can't do it the same with everybody. Mm-hmm. It don't work because, like you said, in my world, if I couldn't leave my house, I was dying. Yes, like I was outside twenty four seven. I was part of the generation of street light on. Get your ass in the house. Like I, everything was outside. But I have a little brother. He's eighteen years younger than me. He don't care about going outside. But you take that phone, his whole world over. Yeah. Like, that's his connection. So just, you know, and we 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 laugh about the way that our parents um, parent us. Because me and my sister, we're only 18 months apart. So we were parented very similar. But I, my little brother's 18 years younger than me. He was born my senior year in high school. Their parenting had to change. For sure. Right, because they're... The environment wasn't the same. One, he's a boy, but the environment wasn't the same. And like you said, his wants and needs were not the same as ours. Yeah, and and they had the benefit of you. Yeah, that too. Like they saw how you turned out. Exactly. <laughs> like, they like, all right, you know, we made some. We, exactly. We could do, you know, like a lot of people. If you do, the only way to get better or something is to do it again. Yeah. You know, like that's the best way to get better. You got to do it again yeah, to get better at it. Because I can't take back how I raised you. Like, and I and I thought I did the best job I could with the resources and the right. intellect and the wisdom that Absolutely. I had access to. You know, like, and that's the difference because, like, you know, we were never. You know, uh, my family's never poor. At least I wasn't able to see that, but I did see the change from us being okay 
to having a, a certain type of luxury. But my little brother has only known luxury. a certain type of luxury, right? So, like, his world is completely different from my world. And like you said, like, you know, the more they did it, the better they got. But he definitely got a different type of benefit. So right. his everything is different. I'll be looking at him like, how are you my little brother? Like, <laughs> you little spoiled self. But... But that's what happens. Like, so when they talk to him and discipline him, it is completely different from my world. That's real. That's real. That's <laughs> that's definitely, that's definitely like something for, for people to think about, you know, yeah. like because children become adults. Absolutely. And then I see a lot of siblings that have resentment because of that change. Like, what I look like resenting my brother because he grew up with money. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, ain't that why we here? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Aren't y'all supposed to, the next generation is supposed to be better? Like, isn't that the whole point? But and I aren't seen, you going to raise a child? Absolutely. Like, are you going to raise your child to mirror the same exact hardships that you had to go through? Like, and if you raise one child and then you get into, you working, that child, you the reason why I treat them better because yes. you motivated me to be better. And that's what people don't understand. Like, you know, we we talk about this generation gap of how they're treated differently. Yeah, because we're better. Mm -hmm. We're better. As like, like I said, my sister's only 18 months older than me. So when I was 16, she she couldn't buy me cars and stupid stuff, but we can spoil the hell out of my little brother because that we are at the point where we're doing good. Mm -hmm. And I want him to see this. I want him to know this because he's an uncle. So that's your little, that's your nephew. You're supposed to handle that with him. I want him to know this is what we're supposed to do for family. But that's how we create that environment though. It's all yeah. about everybody contributing to creating the environment. Absolutely. Like that's the whole concept of the village is it that is. everybody's contributing to this environment like the world is a whole nother thing like the world is a whole nother animal <laughs> it's a whole nother beast you know like you're gonna need a separate therapy for yeah, just dealing with the world dealing with the work life and dealing with all of that's a separate session but like the, what we can do in this family environment like the power of yeah. this family environment when everybody is a willing participant and contributor to it is the most powerful force is more powerful than the nano bomb. It absolutely is. But you all, the biggest issue that I see, it's always one little outlier that refuses to participate and it messes the whole dynamic up. If you let it, if you allow it, to. if you let it, because that person, whether they're saying things or doing things or not being a part of things, somebody's listening, somebody's watching. And if you don't nourish and really put into that family unit, that one person can explode everything. That's real. Everything. And I see it so much. And it's like, just talk. Have the conversation. Just talk, had a conversation. And it's weird that how that plays out because a lot of times it is the elders who are kind of like the counterbalance to that. Yeah. Like for a long time, my grandmother was the one that kept the family together. Mm -hmm. You know, like she kept a lot of, my grandmother saved a lot of, I see. Yeah. A lot of things, even though we did have outliers who were trying to disrupt the harmony Absolutely. of what we could have built, you know, like, so just keeping that in mind is like a healthy tool for people to think about when you're thinking about your family dynamic. I want to see, uh, I would like to see a healthy investment back into the family. Yeah. Like, I want to see us reinvest back into the institution of the family. Even when it, I don't care how broken it is, right? Yeah. And I know, and I understand that sometimes things are like so broken that they seem to be. Everything, everything can have a solution. Mm -hmm. It might not be the greatest solution, but there is a solution. And a lot of it, we got to go back to talking. And I know I, I keep mm -hmm. saying this, this communication piece is so huge because what happened was like our parents and their parents, a lot of stuff they weren't allowed to talk about. All this trauma, all this abuse wasn't allowed to talk about it. But then you were raising a generation who were telling this generation, don't stand for this. Don't allow this. So when that older generation meets with that newer generation and that newer generation's like, I ain't going to Uncle Bobby's house. I know what he did. I ain't doing that. You still have people saying, that's your family. That's your family. But we still got to talk about it. We still got to understand the trauma that Uncle Bobby done did to this family. Yeah. And that's a lot of times how these families are separating because somebody says, I'm not standing for this anymore. And instead of everyone rallying around that person saying, yeah, you're right, because they did this and this and messed this up, we outline the wrong person. 
That's real. Or we just not putting both people at the, Uncle Bobby need to come sit down exactly, with everybody right. and and talk about it. Like Absolutely. you know, like that's the part that's the part that we can't miss out on. Like it's like okay, people do wrong things, but the person yeah. who did the wrong is the person who needs to stand before the people. Like Absolutely. those the, that's the person who needs to stand before the people who have been impacted yeah. by what he did. Like cuz we need to understand first of all, we need to know that these types of things happen. Yes. Yes. You know, like, yes. we need to know that these types of things happen and the, the domino effect of these types of things. Absolutely. And most of the time, Uncle Bobby has some type of trauma that never got addressed. Yes. Which is making him act out. So he looking at everybody like, where were y'all when I needed you? Yes. So I'm creating all this chaos because y'all wasn't there for me. So instead of healing that, we just keep per- perpetuating it generation after generation after generation. That's real because because sometimes we feel we feel for that person. Um, I had a I had a show uh, where my friend Jasmine Evans talked about vicarious trauma. Yeah, you know, like yeah. where we 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 need to deal with what you're going through too. Absolutely, like you went through that. And I have an attachment to you. So, like, I need to, like, kind of. I need to process all of this. I need to I process need to talk that about too. this. Yeah. It's, it's just like if, as a, a child of uh, domestic uh, violence survivors, they have some of the worst attachment issues ever because they necessarily were never abused, but they saw it mm-hmm. to the person that they probably love the most in the world. Can you imagine what that does to a, a person, especially a child, watching their number one person be abused over and over and over again? Like, we are absolutely living through all of this. You know, as therapists, <clears throat> excuse me, we have this thing called supervision. Supervision. And what it does is it allows us to talk to another therapist because I'm getting everybody's trauma. You know, for the past 18 years, I've been a trauma therapist and now I'm specializing in sex. My world is filled with other people's shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's like, I got a hundred people's problems. I got a hundred people's hundred problems. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot. So I got to get that off. And these are people that aren't even in my world. Yes. So imagine this being somebody in my world. And I've watched them go through something after something after something. It, it absolutely affects me. Absolutely. That's real. And it's yeah. just, and that's a natural thing. Like anybody yeah. you're attached to, you, 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 you empathize with yeah. what, what they're going through the same way that you feel good when that you see them do better. Right, exactly. Like, how do you expect <laughs> me to feel good about you doing good, but not feel bad about you doing bad? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why like we, and it's so funny because like when girlfriends talk about, you know, this guy did this or even guy friends talk about this girl to get this. How you think I'm not going to be mad at them too? Like they hurt you. You were part of me. So now I, I feel that, you know, and I think we miss that sometimes because we just, sometimes we want to vent and then we'd be like, well, don't hold a grudge. Like how I'm supposed to do that. Yeah. And I think it's also important that we, if people are going to be in your life, like put them in there. Yeah. Like, if I'm dating a girl, like if I'm dating a girl, you will have relationships <laughs> with my friends. Like, yes. like you will have a because re- if you do something to me, like you're not going. I can't fraction off yeah. like this relationship from this relationship because then I don't have nobody to talk to right. on right. either side. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I want you to know, you do something to me that you do something to us. Yes. You do something to the entire. <laughs> community yes. you know i saw um jamie fox talking about it on the show where mm-hmm. he was like he had snoop dogg go to this uh somebody that his daughter was dating and like snoop dogg just was like yeah homie i just want you to know she got people who love her you know what i'm saying like yeah. but like when you create that type of open environment it helps but i did want to get into a question though right okay. you talked about your transition from trauma based therapy to sexual therapy. Yes. Like, can you explain, like, the difference between the two and what led you oh. on that shift? And, yes, and absolutely. So the difference between the two is that, um, let's see, a lot of times with the, the trauma, just strictly trauma, a lot of times I'm dealing with really big stuff, mm-hmm. really, whether it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, most people, when they come to me for trauma, it is something big. You know, we've all dealt with trauma in some type of way, even like this whole COVID epidemic. It's a trauma for us. It changed our entire way of life, right? We walking around with masks, gloves. We can't go outside. Like, 
I mean, it really changed us. So most of the time I'm dealing with huge, huge traumas. Most of the time with sex, I'm dealing with little things, little things that build up. Mm -hmm. So yes, I still do with sexual abuse and, you know, that kind of stuff or whether it's molestation or rape. But a lot of times I'm dealing with the little things, the relationship things, the couples things, like, you know, whether it's one person is like, she doesn't give me enough head or another person. She's like, I, I like it with the lights off. He wants the lights on. Little things that you wouldn't think turn into something, but they do. Mm-hmm. You know, they crash a whole relationship. Um, and we can get back to the difference. But how I switched was that, um, like I said, for 18 years, I had done trauma. And trauma kind of fell in my lap. Um, I started working when I first got out of school. I was working in Baltimore. I was working at... Um, Detention centers, prisons, baby bookings, the whole nine in Baltimore. Like, I was just entrenched in it. And trauma kind of came naturally because of the stuff that I was seeing, you know, Mm -hmm. with people being locked up, dealt with a lot of foster care. Um, So I I fell into trauma. One day I woke up and I had, like, five trauma certifications. And I was like, oh, I'm a trauma therapist. Okay, this is where I am. So for the past, what, 15 years, I focused on trauma. This is just... I happened to be good at it. It happened just to be everywhere. Then one day I got to the point where I said, I'm really, really good at what I do, but now I want to do something that I want Want to to do. do. Not something that fell into my lap, right? I was like, I want to do something. And it's so crazy. It started out with, it was so random. I auditioned for, I went for an interview with a job for the Washington football team. They were looking for a team therapist. And um, I didn't have a specialty in in sports psychology. And I was like, but, you know, my background is pretty damn good. My resume, I feel like I can hold up to it. So I I, um, interviewed for the position. I got two interviews in the last one. Um, I was told they went with this guy, a sports psychologist. And I was so in my feelings, my ego busted Mm because you can't I'm one of those people like if I feel like if I really want it I I can get it so my my feelings were hurt my ego was hurt and then I said well this is a specialty is this what you want to do and so when I was thinking about it I was like do I want to do sports psychology and I said if you can choose anything right now what do you what would your next specialty be and I was like, no, nah, I want to do something fun. <laughs> I want to do something that is just outside the box that I I feel like is needed. So when I was, I'm one of them people, pros and con lists, researching and everything. And sex just kept coming out. And so I, I, I took the plunge and I went back to school a little bit to get some, you know, more classes and certifications. And I end up really, really loving it. Part of the reason, too, was that I was realizing I was getting a lot of older, and when I say older women, I mean women probably aged 35 to 55 that were coming to therapy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were either divorced, going through a divorce, and wanting a divorce. And the bottom line was always sex. It was always, it's not enough, or I don't like it, or I don't understand it. Again, we got to remember, this is the generation that that we weren't taught about sex. It was, don't have sex, don't bring home no babies. And that was it. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, especially as black and brown women, we're told, you better keep that man. You better do what you got to do in the bedroom. But it's like, you won't even let me ask questions about sex, but I'm supposed to be this super freak and keep my man satisfied. So a lot of women were up against this, you know, this battling thing of be sexual, as sexual as you can in the bedroom, but you better figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what? So a lot of women were coming to me saying, I want to explore my sexuality. Or my husband won't let me explore my sexuality. Or, you know, he he's not satisfying me because I don't know what, what's going on. And so I was like, oh my God, the universe is really working together. Because these women weren't coming to me for sex therapy. They were coming to me for depression and anxiety. And I was like, yeah, you guys need sex therapy. Like, this is actually what it is. So everything started coming together. And I was like, yep, I'm on the right path. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So what does so. sex therapy look like? So it looks like a little bit of everything. Everybody asks me that. They're like, do you just send people to watch porn? Yeah, sometimes I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really do. I send people home with homework to masturbate. Um, but a lot of it, especially in couples, is communication. hmm a lot of people don't know what they like. They can't, they're afraid to experiment. You know, we all have the art Kelly jokes of the, you know, peeing on people. And, but some people like that. And when R. Kelly came out and everyone started, you know, making jokes, they was like, oh, I can't tell nobody what I like because y'all gonna think I'm like him. 
you know, or, and it might not just necessarily be the ping, but just, you know, anything that was not that missionary regular, it was like, okay, I'm scared to say something because now you're going to judge me. Mm -hmm. So communication, it's all about communication. So the first thing I ask is like, are you satisfied with your sex life? And nine out of 10, they say no. Why not? It's just, I don't like it. It just, it doesn't do anything for me. Well, what do you like? I don't know. So I'm like, great. Your homemakers to find it out. Yeah. So first I tell them, especially women, know your body. Know what you like. 80, 81% of women do not have orgasms during intercourse. Yeah, 81. <laughs> so fellas, I'm sorry. She's faking it. I hate to tell you. <laughs> but it's her loss because she don't right, get fellas. what she needs. <laughs> but it's not. And this is the thing, fellas. It's not your fault. Because she doesn't know what to say to you. Fella, some of it's probably y'all fault. I mean, a little bit, because y'all don't listen. She'd be like, right there, and y'all be like, wait, let me move. What? Okay. (laughs) But we don't talk. We don't say, what do you like? Like, if you're coming to my house and I'm cooking you dinner, I say, what don't you like? What's your favorite type of food? Do you like Indian? Do you like Mexican, right? Because I want you to enjoy your meal at my house. Mm But when it comes to sex, we we don't have that conversation. Yeah, you go in there with your plan. Like, I got my plan. Right. So he he ready to serve Mexican and she like Indian and y'all sitting there looking at each other like y'all stupid. Exactly. So it's communication. So I teach a lot of being honest about what you want and what you need. And sometimes it's being honest to say, hey, I have no idea what my body responds to. Can we play around with some stuff? Because a lot of times somebody is like, I, I'm supposed to like this, you know? Do you deal with women who feel as though they don't please their man? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially especially when it's, there's a cheating situation there. Mm. Um, they internalize that a lot. But we absolutely go through that too, where they can tell, they're like, my man is never satisfied after sex. I can just tell. And I'm like, well, did you ask him if he liked it? Did you ask him what you can do? What you can change? No, we don't have those conversations. Well, then you're always going to be right where you are. You're always moving from a deficit. Yeah. So I'm like, this is literally a person that you are exchanging bodily fluids, private. I mean, this is one of the most intimate act you can do. And you're afraid to have words. Mm -hmm. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, anyone that I'm intimate with, I got to put it out on the table for you. Like, this, this is the most intimate we can be. That's real. So... I teach a lot of that. And I tell people too, this day and age, it's really easy because you can text, you can send them memes, you can uh, look at videos. It's it's really easy. It's really easy, right? But then like my personal viewpoint of sex is sex is ultimate confrontation. Like, yeah. and like you said earlier, people be scared of confrontation. Yep. Like, Like what happens if I fully like, Invest myself into this experience, yeah. into this process where it's like, it's not even about climax. Like, we remove the word climax from this. Like, yeah. Like, where the whole goal is literally like, we are sparring <laughs> and nobody loses. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and that's part of what I teach too is that, like you said, it's not always about the orgasm. I teach to enjoy the journey. Yeah. Because it's not like you said, one, that that climax, that orgasm, it's it's not always going to happen. But you can still enjoy the journey. And that's not what you're going to remember. Like Right. Like you're going to remember the you're going to remember the journey. With any Absolutely. with any journey or experience we go through, it's that's the whole odyssey. The, the, yeah. You know, it's not about the destination. It's about, it's about the, journey the journey to the destination, yes. you know. And I'm telling you when I talk to, you know, especially like my, even my friends, when we, you know, talk about the best sex you've ever had, it has always been that man that you were like, girl, he loved me. I don't care. What, like the way he made me feel, mm-hmm. not about the orgasm at the end or what he didn't do, or it was about how he made me feel during the process. You can tell me I wasn't this man's wife and he ain't loved me for 20 years and he's been fine. Like that feeling is real. And that's the intimacy. That's the part that a lot of people don't get to enjoy because their anxiety about that orgasm is so ever-present. Yes. So we got, I teach people, your goal isn't the orgasm. Get that off the table. Enjoy 
the journey. And people are like, well, how do I enjoy the journey? The same way when you're eating. The goal is to be full at the end of dinner. But don't you want don't you want that food to be good? Yes. Like when you sit in a dance, mm, just the best food I ever. That's the journey of sex as well. You want to feel like this person is putting in effort. Can you imagine if one person is like, oh, I'm going to enjoy the hell out this journey. And the other person is like, I need to hurry up and get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. You're not matching. Y'all don't have the same goal. So a lot of times I realize a lot of couples don't have the same goal when it comes to sex. Which which also probably means that they don't have the same goals and other no, aspects of life. They too. don't talk at all. Because one person could be a very selfish lover. Or they, or that their partner thinks they're a selfish lover, but that person is like, you've never told me what you've wanted. So why would I not do everything I want when you won't tell me anything? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get it. Look, if it's between me and you and you ain't saying nothing, I'm a win. I'm a go. My stuff is going to come out. In the world of the blind, the man with one eye is king. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. You have to talk. You have to talk about what is the point of us being intimate. Yes. You know, is it just for that orgasm, just for that climax? Is that the only goal? And it's okay if it is, but y'all got to be on the same page. Facts. It's got to be a roadmap. Like, I got to know what, again, knowing is the ultimate power, you know. Yeah. It's nothing that beats knowing, like, in the pursuit of understanding. Like, not understanding, but pursuing understanding. Like, getting closer and closer and closer. Like, that's the whole goal is to to understand what I can do better to get to so that I'm contributing yeah. again everybody just needs to be <laughs> willing participants in a, in a bigger objective like yeah. but it's about a lot of getting out of your own head mm-hmm. I encourage everybody to get out of your own head that is an isolated dark and lonely it space is. like it we is. are people who are meant to flow in in unison with all of the things mm-hmm. that are around us and the people we bring closest to us are the people we need to be most diligent about ensuring that we are flowing with them absolutely when you are in flow with someone a lot of the problems that um threaten your relationship or threaten your friendship or threaten your family like once you figure out the flow once you figure out the pace once you figure out the the stamina that you need to get the job done then you can work towards that mission you can work towards that you could be prepared for um the product you want to produce yeah absolutely get out your own head and everything isn't about you. Yes. Everything isn't about you. You know, when, like I said, when, especially with sex therapy, when, you know, the one partner says, you know, you, I don't like when you do this or you do this, it gets internalized. And they're like, well, that's what I like. Cool. But this, she, they're talking about her now. Mm-hmm. Like, this ain't about you. We can get to you next. But right now, she's telling you or he's telling you what they need. And that's what you need to listen to. You know, mm-hmm. we and I, I start everything with love languages. I don't know if you guys have done love, love, love languages, but a lot of people don't do love languages right. And it drives me crazy. Well, so what are people doing wrong with love languages? So what they're doing is they're loving people in their love language. So if you sit there. So my love language is I have to have um, quality time and physical touch. I quality time is huge for me. Anybody who knows me knows. If I don't see you, don't know. If you don't make time for me, I need carved out special one-on-one attempt. Like I'm huge. But I learned that I also love in a different language. I love in gifts. I am a huge gift giver, whether it's something like small that I think you'll like or something huge. Um, but I learned that I was loving people in the way that I wanted to love them and not what they were telling me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do this. So until someone says, hey, this this isn't my love language. Because I used to get mad. Like, I just bought you the new Jordans game out. Why are you not excited? Why are you not happy? And they're like, okay, thank you. That's not their love language. They would have rather you cook dinner or, you know, came over. And I'm like, dog, I just sent you something. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, a, a, across the country doing some stuff. I'm trying to let you know that I'm thinking about you. And they're like, that's cool. But that's not how I need to be loved. Yeah. And so many people do that. We love people in the way we want to love them, not how they need to be loved. That's real. It makes me just thinking of correlations in our conversation. It makes us think about a point we had earlier where like 
everybody's different. Yeah. You know, like everybody's different. So I think a mistake that people make is they love people the way they want to be loved and they love people the way that people in their past. Yes. Like every year. Well, I did this for my ex and she was excited. Let me do this again. That is not the same person. Nowhere near. Or even holding somebody else to a different standard. Mm -hmm. You know, even if my love language is gifts, my millionaire ex-boyfriend gifts is going to be different from my, you know, middle-class teacher boyfriend gifts. But we can't compare them, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's the gift, it's the act of the gift that we have to realize, right? It's the act of the service. It's the physical touch of how you like it, you know? Mm-hmm. So er- everything is different. Like you said, you got to cater to that person. You got to ask questions and figure yeah. out who they are. You got to figure out who they are. And the thing about love languages is you can always become more fluent in speaking it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about, again, understanding the the rhetoric of the language, understanding like how the understanding the uh, the dialect in which they speak their love language, even though people might have the same love language, they might have a different dialect. So the way that people speak English in New York City is different than how people speak English in Alabama and Mississippi. And let me tell you, because physical touch is one that gets confused all the time. So I could have a couple that both say, my love language is physical touch. The other one says my love language is physical touch. But for one, it's sex, but the other it's holding hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the putting the hand on the small of your back or giving you a massage or, but for the other person, it might just be straight either penetration or oral. It's different. So you could have the same love language, but like you said, it's a different dialect. Yeah. You got to learn the lingo. Yeah. Learn your partner's lingo. Learn the lingo of their language. You know, that's going to get you further and closer with that person. Absolutely. Because yeah. they like, I keep trying to have sex with him. And, you know, he don't want to have sex with me. He like, damn, can you just hold me? Can you give me a hug sometimes? Like, that's the physical touch I'm looking for. And when we don't talk about it, we don't know. Oh, that's real. That's real. Because I, I got into the love language thing. I never really fully got into it, honestly. <laughs> you know, I, but- I did receive a couple of text messages like, yo, do, do this test for me. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people do. And I love it, though, because I feel like therapy is becoming more mainstream. You know, oh, it's yeah. not taboo. I got people... Uh, and they quote me on their Facebook, on their Instagram. I mean, they like, yo, this one of your clients, they talking about Dr. B said. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. But I love it because we're not shying away. We're not afraid. We're not not saying we, you know, are in therapy. So I think that is absolutely beautiful. But at the same time, some of our clinical techniques become watered down. And that's what that's my issue with the mainstream therapy. Yeah. I'm seeing like I'm seeing a lot of people follow pages, and it's like uh, seven tips to deal with. Where it's like the the clinical part is with your missing. Yeah. Like you know, Absolutely. anybody can give you tips from a book, but the fact that again, we I, I always think that conversations be so rooted in the beginning, and I tend to always like the latter part of the. <laughs> conversations yeah. mm-hmm. but it's them early parts where it's like everybody is different that no, everybody is, is different yeah. portions so like you're you, you, the importance of therapy is that this therapist is coming to get to know you like yeah they're coming to like the tips four to seven tips just might take you down a road mm-hmm. that that you at least need to be aware of yes <laughs> and that's the thing i'm like whoo you just opened a whole bunch of shit and not there to put it back like and a lot of people claim to be therapists that aren't therapists kind of you know hurts me because i'm like you know how much schooling and and training i went through like you know, I, I have my master's degree in clinical social work. I'm licensed in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and Georgia. I have about 10 certifications under my belt. And somebody on Instagram just keeps putting, oh, follow me for therapy. I'm like, what, what, what have you done? You know, I have my doctorate in social work. I have a doctorate in clinical social work from one of the best schools in the country. Shout out to USC Trojans. But, um, <laughs> you know, so when I see stuff like that, I'm always like, you're going to open stuff you can't close. You know, because I open a whole bunch of shit, but I'm there to close it. You know, part of therapy is me emptying you out, but I don't let you walk away empty. I gotta, I gotta fill it with stuff. That's where the clinical piece is. Anybody could tell you what's wrong with you. Anybody. But I help you change that. I help you survive that. I give you tools to move on with that. Mm 
And that's what a lot of this, you know, mainstream pop culture therapy doesn't do. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, um, I'm going to fix your car without doing a diagnostic. Yeah. Like I got diagnosed first. Like I got to and and I look at it. I'm in the I'm in the astrology real heavy, you know. So it's kind of like how the sun sign has been mainstreamed. Like, mm. oh, you're a Capricorn. You're yeah. a Aries. You're a Taurus. So this is what you need to know about yeah. the Taurus and boom, 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 boom. But then I started learning from a guy named Louis Wally. Like, you got your rising sign your yeah. moon sign your descending your, you got all of these different Absolutely. things and the position of everything is what determines some of the personality traits that people can assume about you right mm-hmm. but when we start looking at one factor of something like if we only focus on someone's uh childhood situation right. and we don't get into like how their first couple of teenage relationships went you yeah, know what i mean like, exactly because it's like the the dynamic of everything going on around us is what kind of contributes to the people we become and but one thing i would say is i find it unbelievable when i see people overcome certain things and not like not have it impact them in a way that one would assume it would so with some people their natural coping skills are amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about resilient people and resiliency in people, a lot of that is just your natural coping skills Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason, we didn't have to teach you. You just, you knew what to do with it. Like when something happened, you know, a lot of times these are our more level-headed people. When we say, if I was ever in an emergency with somebody, I want to be with this person because they naturally can roll through things. Right. But what a lot of people don't understand, too, is a lot of people do therapy with themselves. And when I say that, I mean, we're, you're not seeing the part where they're processing shit at home. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're like, OK, I need to stop doing A, B, C and D because it's doing this to me. Or, OK, I tried this, this and this and it didn't work. You know, everybody has their different coping skills. A lot of times when people come to therapy, it's because their coping skills didn't work or they don't have any. Yeah. You know, we all go through shit, you know, especially like grief. Grief is something that Every single person experience, whether it's a close person, someone removed, a pet, whatever. We all go through grief. Someone can lose their mother, grieve, but next month function 100%. They have amazing natural coping skills. Somewhere in their head, it's telling them, yes, you are sad. Yes, you are hurt. Yes, this is one of the worst things that ever happened to you, but you're going to be okay. And they believe it. That's the part. They believe it. And they function believing it. Same, another person, same thing could happen to them. They lose their mother, but they are out of it for six months because their coping skills did not kick in. Mm -hmm. They were, they can tell themselves you're going to be okay, but they don't believe it. So we can all experience the same thing, but how we react to it and what we believe about it determines what happens to us next. Yes. Yes. That's a powerful sentiment. <laughs> That's a powerful sentiment. And it, and it takes people a while to understand that because, you know, we look at, especially when people say, how did these siblings grow up in the same place and this, with the same parents and come out completely different? A lot of it is their natural coping skills. Yes. One either had some or created some or believed them while the other different didn't. You know, we have people that grow up in situations and they could have the worst situation ever. They can have a parent that is substance abuse or, you know, violent or whatever. And one kid will say, I'm going to do everything in my power not to be like that. And the other one say, this is just my destiny because this is who my parents are. It is all about what you internalize and how you internalize it. Can that change? Absolutely. But some people need help. And that's what therapy is for. It's amazing. When you start realizing, hey, my coping skills aren't working or my coping skills aren't there. Hi, insert therapist. <laughs> this like this is exactly what I'm here for. So Man, you heard that. <laughs> Y'all heard that. That's my little plug. Come Y'all to therapy, please. Come to therapy. Come to please. therapy. <laughs> well, you know, I'm super happy that you made some time to come and visit us today. Yes. Like, and I truly hope that my listeners 
really take something from this conversation. You know, we gotta have Dr. B back. Though. Yes, this was fun. Thank you we so much. We gotta have Dr. <laughs> B. So when y'all listening to this podcast, make sure you download it. Make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Apple channel, the Spotify, all other channels. Yes. And, and, and make sure you comment and say, Dr. B, we want you back. <laughs> We want you back. Absolutely. We want you back. I always ask my followers in every episode that come join us as we try to figure out this thing called life together. And we want to thank you for contributing to that environment and to that mission, you know? So, man, let's just give it up for Dr. Thank B. Thank you. <laughs> I so appreciate, you know, you allowing me on this platform. Because like I said, a lot of us skin folk, we, we try to ignore certain things. And so whenever I have that opportunity to speak to more people and say it's okay i'm running i'm jumping i'm taking it so thank you so much i Man, appreciate, we appreciate it. you and we are definitely gonna do a part two because that last statement had me about to go into a whole Listen. other hour of dialogue you know but you know, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank my listeners. Thank my followers. I want to just say I appreciate you guys and I love you guys. And if you do have trouble coping with certain things that might have went on in your past or you're going through certain things right now and you feel like nobody understands you, you feel like you don't have nobody to turn to, nobody to talk to, and you don't even know how to communicate your feelings, please seek a professional. You know, please seek somebody who will be there, who will be devoted to understanding you you making sure you empty out all of that things that might be toxic in your life but also again closing it back up yes, and refilling absolutely. you up with things that's going to help you contribute to a healthier mind and a healthier environment to you with that being said stay rich don't make poor decisions i love y'all peace <laughs>